0: I want to be able to take everything I can about the individual, everything that they're willing to offer and give to me about themselves, and leverage that not only in how I conduct my assessment, but how I conduct each subsequent treatment. And so you can see now that this really helps us save time, not waste time in the initial examination, but save time in subsequent interactions.
1: Enabling our patients to make significant changes in their lives can be one of the hardest elements of our role as therapists. Often we know the changes will be beneficial to the patient, but how do we allow the patient not only to see this, but also put into place these changes and adhere to the programmes we set? In today's podcast, we answer that very question. Joining us to talk about behaviour change is Mike Studer, a physical therapist practising in Oregon. He's been a physical therapist since 1991, recognised as clinician of the year in the Neurologic and Geriatric Academies of the American Physical Therapy Association and received fellowship of the APTA in 2020. He has authored over 30 journals and presents internationally on aging, stroke, motor learning, motivation in rehabilitation, cognition, balance, dizziness and Parkinson's disease. Mike gives us some powerful information in this episode that will get you thinking about how you spend your time in your next consultation. Mike shares with us several ways in which you can start to get the patients participating better and progressing faster in their health journey. I'm James Armstrong, and this is Physio Explained. Mike, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. It's a pleasure to have you on. James, it's my pleasure to be here. Thank you for hosting me. Wonderful. So we're going to get straight into this because this is a very meaty subject and we're going to be talking about behavior change. So a very broad subject. So I want to dive straight into our first section. And this is about the importance of taking the time to learn about that person sitting in front of you during your clinical consultations.
0: Talk us through that, Mike. It's very clear to all of us that we need to begin to personalize our rehabilitative and medical engagements. What we don't often recognize is the value of not only in that very visit that we're with the individual, but the return on the investment of time that we will experience in future visits. For example, if I know that you like to be challenged and want to be given another attempt when you struggle with something, I can use that not only in my initial examination, but also in every subsequent visit. If I know that you want to be able to return back to your woodworking craft, your yard work, playing with your children, cleaning your home, playing with your grandchildren or your dog, then I can leverage that into the types of treatment opportunities that I'm giving you, the tests and measures that I deliver to you, and also the information about the scores and objective measures that I've gained, this proves to us that you'll be more safe in keeping your balance. This proves to us that you'll have the physical activity to be able to walk your dog around the block. So I wanna be able to take everything I can about the individual, everything that they're willing to offer and give to me about themselves and leverage that not only in how I conduct my assessment, but how I conduct each subsequent treatment. And so you can see now that this really helps us save time, not waste time in the initial examination, but save time in subsequent interactions.
1: Yeah. It harks back to something that I think we hear about a lot is the importance of that subjective assessment in terms of getting to know that patient, getting to know
0: how they tick, I suppose, is what we're really getting at. Is that true to the point there, Mike? Right. Exactly. Yeah. And we talk about it as the soft skills, but today's therapist sometimes feel so burdened by the little amount of time that they have with individuals that they don't see this as an investment, as a return on investment. And if we just think about it from a time construct, now you can appreciate how beneficial it is. But now think redoubly. If I want my patients to believe in my care as a healthcare professional, in my ability to include them, therapeutic alliance, in my ability to respect their individuality as a person, now I not only get return on investment for time, but I also get return on investment in terms of their attention and their intensity. Yes, this person is developing and prescribing something directly for me. He or she is listening to me. This is exactly what I need. And that leverages certainly placebo effect, belief structures, and all of the psychological determinants of health. Wonderful. Such an
1: important area that I think, as you said, time constructs can lead us to miss out massively. And that leads us really on, I think, really well onto the next section, which we're talking about education. And people don't often necessarily make those changes through us
0: educating them alone, do they? That's right. And there is a nice science on this that really has a good nearly 70 years of information, and the science is known as behavioral economics. And so in healthcare, we need to be able to repurpose behavioral economics and utilize the understanding of how and why humans make the decisions they do. And that's really all behavioral economics is. So sometimes we feel compelled to speak more, talk more, convince people, rationalize, and give them all of the information that we have been empowered with. When in fact, sometimes what we can do is allow the individual to select the best decision from a framework of behavioral economics, how we know people make decisions. And James, what we can do is make decisions easier for people, make them obvious, make them attractive, make them very close and reachable. When we talk about exercise, snacks... And we talk about making physical activity convenient, green parks, exercise areas. But we also just want to lean in and listen to what this individual wants from themselves. And then we create what's called nudges, removing friction to allow them to make the healthiest decisions. And we just step in as a coach to say, based on what I know about you, may I offer a couple of what I think would be the best options? And so that really helps them feel that they have made the decision rather than we are compelling them. We can also use a lot of tools beyond just education that are causing individuals to feel more attracted to and competitive, feeling like they can compete against their own numbers. And we call that gamification. Wow, my two-minute walk score went from 164 feet to 212 feet. What am I going to get next time? And we want to really have people look at their knee range of motion as a number that they're willing to beat, their sit to stands that they can beat, their sprint analytics, their force production, the watts that they can create on a stationary bicycle. Anything that we can use that can be numerically inclined can cause a human being to repurpose their psyche into a gamified approach where their intensity goes up and their attention goes up. So can utilize all of these principles rather than our educational tools ad nauseum. Brilliant. What about this of the, the loss aversion? Yeah, the consideration of loss aversion is really, really powerful for people because we understand that individuals have the opportunity to also invest in themselves and protect their future health. And we know that based on studies in behavioral economics that are considering 401k or retirement-based investment principles, then individuals individual is more likely to spend time to help their future selves. And what we need to do in healthcare is leverage that to our advantage known as loss aversion. So as I age, I hear that I might be losing strength or might be losing my endurance, lose some flexibility. Okay, at 61 years old, Let's take some time to invest in your body so we can save away some strength, so that we can hedge against the losses that you might experience, and so we can really help people invest in themselves in a healthy manner rather than a guilty manner. If you don't attend physiotherapy, you might have a fall and go to the hospital. That wouldn't be healthy. What we want is to give people the opportunity to avert, avoid losses through positive actions.
1: Want to take your physio skills to the next level? Look no further than our Masterclass video lectures from world-leading experts. With over 100 hours of video content and a new class added every month, Masterclass is the fastest way to build your clinical skills, provide better patient care, and tick off your CPD or CEUs. Click the link in the show notes to try Physio Network's Masterclasses for free today. With this behavior change and this economic, as you really interestingly use that term, and how do we make that easy, satisfying, and fun
0: within our clinics? James, that's a great question. And that ties this all together so nicely together in a package, because we go back up to the first one. We start with learning about the individual, what makes them tick is this an individual that likes to compete against themselves? We use gamification and that's what makes it attractive and satisfying. But maybe that doesn't work for everyone. So we give them autonomy. We let them be a part of the healthcare team so that it feels that it is attractive and obvious and the types of decisions that work for them. But maybe they don't like autonomy and they feel that they're burdened by having to make decisions about their healthcare. So we think about the individual's personality from another perspective, and we understand what types of work and employment that they've had professionally or advocationally. Maybe they're attracted to do something that helps them feel productive. Okay, I'm willing to go out and be productive. Is it something that is spending my body's energy to help my family, to help my community, To help me in my work. And maybe it's only being productive that's going to cause this individual to feel more physically engaged. So, as we well know, different generations may actually perceive exercise as really a misuse of the body's blessings and the body's energy. And I don't want to spend my energy on exercise but they will spend their energy on doing something productive. So we as healthcare providers need to pivot and understand the individual in front of us so that we actually create their physical activity opportunities in ways that help them feel productive. So rather than having them do 10 sit-to-stands and weightlifts and go to the gym that they're going to agree to in front of you and then decide not to elsewhere, we say, okay, what I'd like you to do is Spend time down on your knees, hoeing your garden, picking up weeds, moving things in a wheelbarrow, helping to rearrange an area for your daughter or granddaughter. And that is a way for them to purposely use their energy. Remember, we use autonomy, productivity, and mastery. You're really good at this. Oh my goodness. How good can you get? And those are the main theoretical principles of psychology. Those are the only three. That really consistently motivate every individual: autonomy, productivity, and mastery. And we can better position ourselves to be effective healthcare providers if we can look at the individual in front of us, find out what of those three makes them motivated, and then shape our physical activity recommendations to fit with that individual. That's one of the key things I've got from that, Mike. Is how you motivate someone,
1: how you motivate them to do what you know is good, but getting them to understand why, and, but motivating them. I think that's the strong word that's coming out of that and getting to know the
0: person to be able to know how to motivate them. Exactly. And one of the big pivots here is rather than figuring out how to be a better debater and motivate them with your words, learn to be a better listener and to allow the individual frame it, shape it so that they are the ones making the selection. When I feel like I'm the one that said, yes, you've given me five exercises to do at home and you're only asking me to pick the three that I really like, when the patient reaches out on the sheet of paper or the computer and picks three of your exercises, they have seen themselves, identified themselves and says, I feel like these three exercises resonate with me, I'll do these. They're more likely to do the three that they chose than the five that you gave them. So you got to spin the table and allow the individual to be an active member in the healthcare team. Wow, Mike, it's
1: just been really key things I think we can take away from this today. Some of the, the things that take us as clinicians and make us take a step back, make us listen more, make us understand our patients better to enable us to motivate them to be able to make those changes and feel like they've had the choice and made the choice to make those changes themselves. I know we've scratched the surface with this very much, but the good news is for our listeners is we will be having a masterclass yourself, I believe. You've produced a masterclass for us, which will be out later on in the middle of this year. So I think our listeners will be able to gain a a much fuller insight. But this has been really, really
0: useful, Mike, and I'd like to thank you very much for the time today. James, thanks so much for hosting me and I'll really look forward to hearing what the audience gets from the masterclass and i know that my contact information is included for that so i just encourage people to also reach out for more questions mike thank you very much and we'll no doubt have you on
1: the podcast again and i'm personally very much looking forward to that masterclass thanks james take
0: care